Well, good morning, everybody. You're looking good. It's going to be a big God day, and I'm glad you're with us. Got a new member class going on right now, and we'll welcome them at the end of our service. You know, I've heard all of my life on various occasions that one person can really make a difference. So I want to look at that idea to see if it's true. Can one person become so significant the world is altered because of that one individual? It intrigues me to think that somebody here this morning could, in the next few years, be involved in some life-changing venture or some leadership role that affects history. That's pretty remarkable. And what's more remarkable is that those of you that will be engaged in that kind of an action are probably discounting the fact it would ever be you. I'd like to blow that myth out of the water. Think with me of individuals in world history that have changed in some way the direction of our world. About the 16th century, the Bible was in the hands only of the priests. The Bible was chained to the pulpit. Can you imagine this? It was only in Latin. Nobody spoke Latin but the educated priest, and they lied to the people about what was in the Bible because the people couldn't read the Bible to know it was a lie. So they controlled people, and it was an outrage. But little by little, Reformation began. People were kept in ignorance. And then the Reformers started emerging, men like Martin Luther, who, who came to the revelation that salvation was by grace, through faith, not by climbing the stairs, hurting yourself, kissing the foot of some statue, and by some works-oriented performance that had held the church in the dark ages for centuries. He blasted that out of the water, and little by little, light began to dawn on people. But then there were men that God raised up individually like Tyndall, William Tyndall and Wycliffe, men who wanted to get the Bible into the English language. If you can imagine this, you say, well, what's bad about that? They executed these people. Tyndall was executed because he dared to translate the Bible from, from the Greek text. The Latin was a poor translation, so he went back to the Greek text. This took years to do, to put it in English so we could understand it. These men gave their lives so that you could not read your Bible. Can you believe that? that? That's how dark the church was, that it fought truth. And many places, it still does. I, I, I just think it's remarkable to read the history. You can Google and look at these different people. God turned the light on in Martin Luther that salvation was by grace through faith, and old Luther had the courage to carry that light to places of darkness. What you and I take absolutely for granted cost these men their lives. They became known as reformers who protested the religionist of their day. Therefore, we became known as the Protestants, and we've been pro protesting ever since. I, I don't know. The church kept common people in ignorance long enough. The Bible was now to be in the language of the people. And through the Reformation ignited by men like Luther, the Bible came to us in English, and little by little, people got free. One person at multiple ages brought change to world history. About the same time, there was another man who was a painter, a sculpturer, an architect, a scientist, an engineer, a dreamer named Leonardo da Vinci, not the movie actor. 
That's DiCaprio. This guy was an illegitimate child, a brilliant man who dreamed things nobody else dreamed about. His curiosity was consuming, and he changed the world. Inventors who cannot be overlooked, Benjamin Franklin in the history of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, Henry Ford, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and scores of other individuals who thought thoughts nobody else had imagined possible or who had debunked and said it's not possible. But through hard work, perspiration, and some inspiration, they were led into adventures that were never considered possible. I'm thinking in the early 60s, Bill Lear, a genius of a man who said we can have a private small jet for the average businessman or person, and they said he's out of his mind. And yet the Lear jet came as a result of that man's thorough persistence and engineering skill. And I'm sorry to bring that up because I just love aviation. But the Learjet was the first and changed world travel for individuals and entertainers. And if you get one, I'd like to borrow it. <laughs> I can fly it, all right. But these people turn dreams into reality, and we're the benefactors of it today. I mean, imagine, I used to have a big Bible, had a notepad, now I just got an iPad. I carry it all over the world with hundreds of messages on it. Thank you, Steve Jobs. You see, God, does, God uses all kinds of people, Christian and non-Christian people, but I'm trying to get you to see that God can use one person to change the world. And all of these people, he, this was an illegitimate kid, all of these people, some of these people never finished high school. None, m most of them never had a college education. Most of them never had any advantage at all. They were dreamers. They had inventive curiosity, and they made a difference in the world. There were musicians who put harmony and chords and rhythm together in such a way the whole world of music was changed. Mozart, Bach, Beethoven, Brahm, the Rolling Stones, <laughs> Ike and Tina Turner, <laughs> Stevie Wonder. I mean, a lot of these, the Beatles, a lot of these people changed music and changed history. And then there have been explorers, explorers who didn't need maps to know where they were going. They dreamed of lands and oceans and rivers and mountains. There were politicians who cared more about right and wrong than being voted into office again. And though there weren't that many, these are people we can thank for guiding us as a government and as a nation. There were people that were social reformers. There was Martin Luther King Jr., who had a small church in the Atlanta area who got drawn into the civil rights movement, not something he volunteered for. A 34-year-old young man, and he became the supreme leader of a nonviolent movement because civil law was in contradiction to biblical law, and it wasn't right. And he had the guts to lead that movement that brought change and changes in laws, ultimately, even at the cost of his own life. There were women. Just beautiful little women like Rosa Parks, who dared in Alabama to say, I'm not going to sit in the back of the bus. By God, you'll have to throw me off. I'm going to sit where I want to sit. And she did, and she broke the barrier. You can wear pantyhose and be nondescript and still make a difference in the world. I'm trying to show you all kinds of people on the ladder of stratus, economics, education, and culture have made a difference in the world. There have been preachers that have rocked nations and continents. There have been military giants who have won victories and preserved liberty. And if we got real practical, even secular, we could name athletes, 
We could name coaches who dreamed up ideas and strategies on a field or on a court that put a school in the Olympics or put a nation on the map. There were single individuals, not groups of people, who set a new pace. Speaking of nations, how about some individuals who changed nations? One person individuals. I'm thinking of the impact on France of a Napoleon. I'm thinking of the impact on Great Britain of a Winston Churchill. We will fight you on the beaches. We will fight you on the land. We will never give up. Never, never, never. Yeah. I wish I'd have thought of it, you know. But God raised these people. And they're not all nice people. They had some bad habits. Some of them had some bad character. And then there were some really bad, wicked people who were, as an individual, affected a whole nation. Think of the madman Adolf Hitler and how many millions lost their lives because of that one madman. Or a Stalin. You want to do something? He makes Hitler look like Walt Disney. He murdered between 54, Google it for yourself, between 54 and 60 million of his own people. Not casualties of war, just murder because of his huge insecurity. And any part of the Soviet Union or any of its satellite countries that he thought posed a threat, he had them annihilated. Imagine the damage done by one person. I think in India, Mahatma Gandhi, just one person. I think of Alexander the Great in Greece and his impact. I think in oceanography of men like Jacques Cousteau and Bob Ballard who discovered Titanic, in mathematics and Albert Einstein. I've noticed in all of my world travels and in visits to great cities of this world that the statues of great men and great women are always single and individual. I've never seen a committee on a statue, ever. The world has never been changed by a board of anything. It's always been one visionary, one thinker, one speaker, one kind of a person, male or female, who at times worked with boards and committees, but who said, this is the way we're going to go, even if others are doing it differently, and they changed the course of history. How many did it take to help the victim who got mugged on the Jericho Road? One good Samaritan. How many were chosen by God to confront Pharaoh and lead the Exodus? Just one Moses. How many sheep got lost and became the object of concern to his shepherd? Just one. How many were needed to confront adulterous King David and bring him to his knees in repentance? Just one Nathan. How many prophets were called to stand before wicked King Ahab and Jezebel and predict a drought over the nation? Just one Elijah. How many did the Lord use to get the attention of Israel and prepare the way of Messiah? Just one John the Baptist. Men and women in this church and who might be listening on live stream. It has been, it always will be, God's plan to use one individual to reshape and redirect the events of this world. And while some of us may not be able to change the world, we can change the world of someone. Every one of us has that potential. That's what's wonderful and encouraging. In Ezekiel chapter 22, Israel is in desperate condition. The priests, the prophets, and the people, and the government are bankrupt. 
It says in verse 23, Ezekiel 22, again, a message came to me from God, son of man, give the people of Israel this message. In the day of my indignation, you will be like a polluted land, a land with no rain. Your governors, your princes plot conspiracies just as lions stalk their prey. They devour innocent people, seizing their treasures and land and extorting their wealth. They make many widows in the land. Your priests have violated my instructions. They have defied my holy things. They make no distinction between what's holy and what's not. They don't teach my people the difference between what is ceremonially unclean and what is clean. They disregard my Sabbath days. I am dishonored among them. Your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims. They destroy people's lives for money. And your prophets cover them up by announcing false visions and making lying predictions. They say, my message is from the sovereign Lord, when the Lord hadn't spoken a single word to them. Even common people oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. Corruption. And if you and I had lived in that dark day, we'd have thought, is it possible anybody can make a difference? So look at what the Lord says. Now I'm in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. God says, I looked for someone, not a committee, who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I looked for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But I found no one. In the midst of national corruption, political corruption, spiritual corruption. God said, I just need one person, not a congregation, not a committee, just one person, someone he could lead in a brave, courageous, unusual, and creative way. And one person who could walk with God could have altered the course of that land according to what God just said. But God said, I couldn't even find one. You know, if you've got a heart that's right, God will see it and God will use it. I was taught as a young man, the greatest ability is availability. God will use broken vessels. God will use stained vessels. God will use just about anybody if you're available. How available are you? You waiting for somebody else to do it. God will use you in this generation. And my concern is that a great majority of you will discount the fact God will ever do it. But the search goes on. God still looks to and fro throughout the earth to find a man or a woman whose heart is completely His. So let's look at Scripture to see God at work where individuals are important. In Genesis 6, all the way back to the beginning, God says He looked at the human wickedness on the earth. He saw everything was evil. The thoughts of all men were just evil consistently. So God said He repented He had ever made man and put him on the earth. And then in verse 8, but Noah. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Noah was 120 years building this great barge, this ark. In the New Testament, he's called a preacher of righteousness. Imagine spending a century building an enormous barge, preaching righteousness to people who mock you. And as a result, only eight people on the face of the earth were saved from judgment by one man who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It could be one man in this room whose family and children amount to something great because of you. Just one person or one mother or one woman. You never know. One man. 
In Genesis 11, following the Tower of Babel, God confused the language of the people. The building on the tower stopped. Now the people are dispersed. They begin different cultures, and different nations begin to emerge. God determined He would have one people, all of His own, to accomplish His future purpose to bring a Messiah for all people and all nations. But He had to start with just one man, and He found him in the Ur of Chaldees. He was an Iraqi, a pagan, worshiping in temples to idols, and those temples and their ruins are still there. Google them. You can see them in the Ur of Chaldees. That's the southwestern quadrant of present-day Iraq. This was not a holy man. This was a dumb pagan. And God in His grace chose this man, spoke to him in a dream, and it says he believed God. He didn't know what you know today. He didn't have CDs. He couldn't go live stream. He didn't have deep theology. God gave him a message. He believed it. And Romans 4 says, God imputed it to him for righteousness. That's faith. I'm trying to say, how hard is it to hook up with God? Some of you make it too hard. If a dumb pagan can believe a few words from God and God says, all right, that'll do. That'll make you righteous. We ought to be ashamed. I mean, there ought to be no unbelief among us as a people. And so God chose this one guy named Abram who became Abraham. In Genesis 12, verse 1 through 4, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, leave your relatives. Now, that wouldn't be hard. <laughs> leave your father's family and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth are going to be blessed because of you. So Abram departed as the Lord had commanded. Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Abraham was 75 years old when God called him and commissioned him. So I don't want anybody this morning to say I'm too old to be a person who can change the world. He was 75. Moses was 80. Come on, men. Get on your vitamins. Take your Viagra. Do some exercises. The best part of life may just be ahead. He's 75. I'm, I'm in my early, I got, a, I got a shot at making a difference. I don't even think about AARP, it comes in the mail. You know, all these elderly things that come in the mail. All retirement. And God's looking for people 75, 80, in order to make a difference in the world. When God hooks up with you, it doesn't take a long time. It really doesn't take a long time. So don't ever say you're too young, or don't say you're too old. You know. One guy was 600 years old when God used him. So hang around for a while. God may have big plans for you late in life. You just never know. So Abraham didn't even get on the map till he's 75. Then through the loins of one man named Jacob, the Hebrew people were divided into 12 tribes, one tribe for each of his 12 kids. Jacob got his name changed to Israel, which means prince with God. These 12 sons lived under that one man Jacob's father's roof until in a great time of famine they were sent by Jacob to Egypt. Well, what are they going to do? And when they come down to Egypt, they meet one man who they did not recognize as the long-lost brother Joseph they had sold into slavery long ago. And I'm convinced that when Joseph was thrown in a pit, 
sold into slavery into Egypt, put into jail by the false accusation of a woman, Joseph would have had to have thought at 17 years of age, my life is trash. I'm toast. There's no great. God gave me a vision that I'd be a ruler and look at me. I'm cleaning jail cells. It's probably never going to happen. But through a series of magnificent events, God used Joseph as a prime minister to establish a plan for Israel's survival. We get a glimpse in Genesis 45. Now, the brothers are standing in front of Joseph. They're terrified. They're not Egyptian. He's got the power to kill them. They've been told he, they're spies. They're not, but he's been told, and they're trembling. They're in front of this bearded guy who's their ruler, and they haven't seen him since he was 17. It's Joseph. It's their brother. He knows who they are. They don't know who he is. So he says, I am Joseph, he said to the brothers. Is my father still alive? And the brothers were speechless. I can imagine. After what they did to him, they were probably asking for some depends. <laughs> Just let's all be honest. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing in front of them. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. I know what you did. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Great theology. Rather than bitterness and retaliation, God sent me. You know, sometimes God's detours are interstate highways. We don't see it when it's happening, but God's up to something bigger than your comfort at the moment. And what looks like a terrible thing may result in some new direction that becomes an interstate highway. He said, it was God who sent me here, one man chosen by God to preserve a remnant of His people to produce a nation, to produce a Messiah that would bring salvation to the whole earth. And I'll tell you something, there's a lesson here. You will never be a choice vessel of God if your heart harbors revenge. You must forgive for yourself if for no one else. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. Noah made a difference. Abraham made a difference. Joseph made a difference. And then there arose a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. He started to oppress the Israelites. They were enslaved, mistreated, beaten, forced to make bricks, starved. It was a dark day for this small, tiny nation. But one woman who did not fear the command of Pharaoh to kill her male baby. All Hebrew women that had male babies were to kill them put her baby in a small raft on a Nile River and floated it down to where the daughter of Pharaoh was having an oil of a lay bath. And she took a chance. Love this woman. And this Egyptian princess picks up this little Hebrew baby, falls in love with him, names him Moses, and carried him into the palace. God uses ordinary things to do extraordinary things, and He'll use you. So here's Pharaoh thinking, if anybody's a threat to my kingdom, he's going to be powerful. And the sucker just came in in a bassinet. What's going to kill you just came right in front of you, and you didn't recognize it. Had no clue. So God's man, God's deliverer, is just one tiny baby. And at the age of 80, 
Exodus 3, Moses stands by a bush that's burning but not consumed, and God spoke to him from the bush and said, this is Exodus 3, verse 6, I am the Lord God your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard it, he covered his face. He was afraid to look at God. Now, notice who God's speaking to, not a committee, not a group, not a political party, just one man named Moses. And notice what he uses to speak to a Moses. You may not be a Moses. There won't be many Moses, but you could be a bush that burns, that God uses to direct a deliverer. Your impact on that life could save that life, could refocus that life, could bring that life to a knowledge of God. You just have no idea at all the impact of an ordinary scrub desert bush. And it was momentarily used to redirect a deliverer of a nation. I'm showing you again the power of one person to make a difference in a world. Exodus 3, verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perivites, the Hittites, the Mosquito Bites, the Jebusites now live. Dear Jesus, look, he said, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you. <laughs> Moi? <laughs> yes, Moses, you. Not me. I stutter. I'm slow with speech. I'm not quick on my feet. Use my brother Aaron. He's got a big mouth. He talks all the time. Use him. Don't use me. Yep, 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 yep. Here it goes. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. I will send you. And Moses, after much arguing with God, led Israel out of Egypt. Just one man. The exodus of Egypt was not by a board, a committee, or a political party. One man God used. Then in Joshua chapter 1, the baton of leadership passes from Moses to Joshua. In Joshua 1 verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever your foot sets, I will give that land to you. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. See, when a man of God dies, Moses, nothing of God dies. It abides forever. When a person God has used in your life passes off the scene, nothing of God from that person ever passes off the scene. Verse 7, be strong, therefore, and very courageous. Be careful to obey the instruction Moses gave you. Don't deviate from them. Now, I told you before, civil law is going to constantly change and constantly contradict God's Word and God's will. We don't hate, we don't dislike people. We love people. However, we are people bound to follow Jesus. When He gives us His Word and His will, and I become a member of His kingdom through faith in Jesus, I want to please Him. I want to obey Him. I believe His purpose for me is good. I believe His will for me is good, not evil, and that He knows best. 
how to live life, how to do money, how to stay healthy, how to raise kids, how to have a good marriage. And no matter what civil laws come and go, God tells Moses, uh, Joshua, hey, don't deviate from my word. Don't turn to the left or to the right. Then you will be successful in everything you do. The book of Joshua is a story of invasion. These Hebrews that began with Abraham were delivered by Moses out of Egypt, now come into the promised land, and as they're about to occupy these model homes and wells they didn't dig, houses they didn't build, eat from vineyards they had not planted, and would gain an affluence they hadn't earned, God cautioned them, don't start believing your own press. Watch out. You'll become very weak. You'll get fat and sassy. He says, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. And Israel did exactly that. They forgot God who set them up, who delivered them. And as a result, Israel goes through a series of downturns, and God had to raise up individuals at different seasons called judges. And you'll find them in the book of Judges in your Old Testament. These were men and women, yeah, women too, singled out by God to bring His people out of disobedience, out of bondage, into blessing and obedience. People like Deborah, Barak, Gideon, Abimelech, Samson, Jephthah. These were not perfect people, but they obeyed God, and God used them to to save a nation, to get it out of captivity and bondage. Just a quick glimpse, Judges 2, verse 11. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods. They worshiped the gods of the people around them. They angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtaroth. This made God burn with anger against Israel so that He handed them over to the raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated, just as He had warned. And the people now were in great distress. They cried to the Lord. Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from the attackers. So this goes on over and over and over. This is a cycle of obedience, which leads to prosperity and affluence, which then leads to weakness and idolatry and failure and ultimate defeat. Then in despair, they cry out to God. God raises up an individual, a judge, one person to bring them back to God and to bring them back into a place of liberty and not bondage and prosperity. Then the last judge comes, and the first prophet who will anoint the first king of Israel. His name? Samuel. And we see the first three kings of Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon. Each served 40 years. That's 120 years. And in the affluence and spoiled lifestyle of a Solomon, he had it all. You think you got something. You think money. He had the gold. He had the silver. He was rich beyond compare. People came from other nations just to take a look at what they had heard. The Queen of Sheba said, the half has not been told about this guy. It's amazing what he had. He makes Warren Buffett and Bill Gates look like homeless people. I'm serious. You read it. God says He didn't withhold anything from this guy. He didn't say that with many people. Oh, 
And I know you think women would be the answer to everything. He had a thousand of them. Try that on. Think about all the mother-in-laws you'd have with that. Over 700, was it 300 wives, 700 concubines, or just the reverse? But that's more women I can imagine. I can't handle one, let alone imagine dealing with that. And you know what? They turned his heart away from God. By the way, Solomon, who was the greatest in the Old Testament for wisdom, who had a heart for God, who is the product of adultery. His father was David. His mother was Bathsheba. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, killed her husband. This is stuff you didn't get in flannel graph in Sunday school. Killed her husband, tried to cover it up, got exposed by the prophet Nathan, but genuinely repented. And God ultimately brought him back to the throne. Uh, That baby out of that relationship with Bathsheba was Solomon. I, I think this is grace, because no matter what the background, what David did, what Bathsheba did, God in His mercy raised up this incredible guy named Solomon. But the, the sad part is, more people are destroyed by success than by failure. And Solomon does not finish well. He's in heaven. I don't know about the women, but, but, but he's there. But I don't. I want you to see, he, he started really, really good. And he didn't ask the Lord for wealth and riches and women. He says, just give me wisdom so I can rule your people well and justly. And God says, wow, you're the first guy I had that never asked for anything. Therefore, I'm going to give you everything. But what happened? Turned his heart away from God, and at the end, he doesn't finish well. So you ought to be real careful. Whether you're a preacher with a prosperous mega church, or you're a businessman with extreme assets and wealth, whatever you may be, be real careful. It has a tendency, it just has a tendency, if we're not careful, to move us further away from God because we don't have any need. I can buy anything I need. I'm not in that category. I can't buy anything I need. And most of you couldn't either. But the point is, can you imagine how independent it makes you and entitled, and if you can't see it, you can buy it? Most people can't do that. Well, it tends to make you independent of God. You don't mean to. It just tends to go that way throughout history. So finally, the the nation divides after Solomon under his son, Rehoboam. And now we've got two nations. We've got the Israel up to the north and capital of Samaria, and then Judah down in the south of Jerusalem. And they're at civil war with each other constantly. And when a nation stays at war with itself long enough, enemy nations move in and take over. So the northern tribes of Israel are invaded by Assyria and captured. The southern tribes are invaded by Babylon and taken captive. And during this time, God raised up individuals called prophets to speak to His nation. These were people who saw Israel through a time when life was at its worst. Men like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Daniel, Amos, Jonah, Micah, and a host of others, one person each at a time in Israel's history that God used to speak to them, and they affected their world. Eventually, the southern tribes were allowed to return to Jerusalem. The city is in ruins, and one man rebuilds the wall of that city. His name is Nehemiah. He's 800 miles away from Jerusalem. He gets permission from the king he served with excellence to go down and rebuild the walls. 
And then God raises up one guy who's a priest. His name is Ezra. And he brings back the Word of God to the people because they've already all forgotten what's in the Word. And now he brings restoration. And then suddenly, and this is amazing, everything goes quiet for 400 years. Nobody spoke. Nobody wrote for God. Nobody said anything for God between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And in between are 400 silent years. Then, a strange man wearing camel hair, eating locusts, comes on the scene, and it's not Sonny Bono. I got you, babe. No, no. It's John the Baptist, and he speaks of a Savior who would deliver them from their ills. This man was a cousin of Messiah, Jesus Christ. He was the forerunner who came to prepare the way. Just one strange guy, one prophet who broke the silence of 400 years. And then a little baby is born in Bethlehem who grew to become Messiah, and he comes. And talk about changing history. Because of that one single life, he changed the dating system from B.C., before Christ, to A.D., Anno Dominion, in the year of our Lord. Because of him, God's Lamb, he took away the sins of the whole world. He trained 12 men. One betrayed him and committed suicide. The other 11 became Christ's apostles. One who had denied him at the cross became the most significant spokesman for the church. He's highlighted in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. His name is Peter. Now, let me tell you, if God can use Peter, He can use anybody in this room. Peter is a piece of work. He's a commercial fisherman. He's rough. He's raw. He's nasty. He cusses. He is not nice. He doesn't wear a clerical collar. He doesn't have a gold cross. He doesn't have an entourage. You'll see him on Deadliest Catch. Rough, rough. And I, I mean, this is raw. And after three years walking with Jesus, three years with the Son of God, he's still cussing, and he tries to cut the head off of somebody that's a threat to Jesus, the servant of the high priest. He misses his head and gets his ear, and Jesus picks up the ear and puts it back on. I just love to see a video or a DVD of some of this, but what I'm trying to say is this rough uncouth, not very religious guy is writing, is a major player in 12 books at the book of Acts, and he really comes to have a tender heart towards the end as a young man who made a lot of mistakes. That could be you. That could be me. And I thought, one person. Oh, he would be passed over by a church committee. Oh, he wouldn't be good material for TBN or Christian TV, or he's not nice. You guys don't seem to get it. God's not looking for nice people. He's just looking for somebody available. And that's why he uses people you don't like. And I'm saying he'll use you. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. I know these people, and I know that's not an issue. Are you available? God can use anything if it's available. So Peter comes along. And following Peter, the most significant individual to finish the New Testament and write 75% of it is a guy 
member of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee named Paul, persecuted the church, and the book of Acts becomes the only unfinished book in the Bible. We're still being included in the history of the church, and God is still looking for people who are available. How's my time here? In 1645, one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of England. In 1649, one vote calls Charles I of England to be executed. In 1776, one vote gave America the English language instead of German. In 1845, one vote brought Texas into the Union. In 1868, one vote saved President Andrew Johnson from being removed from office. In 1875, one vote changed France from a monarchy to a republic. In 1876, one vote gave Rutherford B. Hayes the presidency of the United States. In 1923, one vote gave Adolf Hitler leader of the Nazi party. In 1941, one vote saved selective service weeks before Pearl Harbor was attacked. Never underestimate the power of one, the power of one life. Remember the one person who told you about Jesus. How significant was that? Did that change the course of your life forever? Because I remember that one person in business who took me to lunch and led me to Jesus. I wasn't hard. It was just that it happened over a simple meal in a business environment. It wasn't religious. It was, it was very simple. But I had no idea at that young age how my life would change years later because of one person. One person in school who believed in you, encouraged you, took time for you, could have changed the whole outcome of your life. One mean, rough, hard woman in high school heard me read the devotions. Back then, you could read the devotions on daily bread over the intercom in high school. And the senior class had to do it. It was not thought of as a reward, folks. We had to do it. So my day came, and I went down to the principal's office, and it's just a very short devotion. You can get them to this day. And I read the devotion. My time's up. Good. Fine. Back to class. And that scrawny woman came and got me out of class and said, I want you to speak in a contest. I thought, no, 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 no. I can't do that. No. Anyway, make a long story short. She got me after school, wrote scripts, edited it made me speak, told me how to stand, how to jet, oh, hours and hours for two years. And never did I have a clue that I was being equipped for something in the future off of something that was just secular at the moment. One person. She probably had no clue either. I'm sure in heaven she said, holy Moses, who would have dreamed that? I sure didn't. And, and that's probably we could go around this room and hear some phenomenal stories. You could be that person. You just never know. One person can change your life forever. Last verse we're through. Romans 5, verse 12. Whereby as by one man sin entered the world, that's Adam, and death by sin, sin passed, death passed on all men, for all have sinned. What brought that into the world, this thing called sin and death? One guy, Adam. So look at verse 15. For then, by, if by one man's sin many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of the grace of God, by one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Sin came into the world by one man, 
and God brought righteousness and salvation by grace into the whole world to all men by one man, Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.